we sometimes always tend to value, overvalue competence. And we undervalue things like character and chemistry, which that is really what sustained us, right? So we take a look at the who we had fundraising for our first five, six years. We, we didn't have anybody who had skills in development or in fundraising. But what we did have were people who were going to come at it with incredible integrity and were going to work hard and be part of the team. You're listening to the Transcend Podcast. I'm your host, Asha Wilkerson, an attorney by training and an educator at heart. This podcast is all about empowering you to build a business and leave a legacy. Here's the thing. The wealth gap in America is consistently increasing. And while full-time entrepreneurship is not for everyone, even a side hustle can change your financial landscape if you're intentional about using your business to build wealth. I've run my own law firm for over 10 years, and in that time, I've helped countless California businesses go from idea to six figures. On this podcast, we talk about what it truly takes to build a sustainable business and find financial freedom. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Transcend the Podcast. I am, again, so excited and grateful that you are here today. I am really, really excited for today's guest. I think I say that before every episode, and I genuinely mean it. Olatunde Subomahim is someone that I have known for probably about 20 years now, just about, if you can believe that. And he is one of the co-founders of Street Code Academy, and he is here today to share with you his journey in entrepreneurship in the nonprofit space to create Street Code Academy that has trained hundreds and thousands of individuals on how to code and create apps and games and things like that. So Tunde is the co-founder and CEO of Street Code Academy, a community-based organization providing free tech education to communities of color. In addition to Street Code Academy, Tunde has co-founded Espachi, a youth sports and culture brand, and Trilicon Valley, a lifestyle brand with products in technology, fashion, and branding. He is a proud graduate of Stanford University, and together with his wife, Tamara, has four children, Olatayo, Timilola, Tatiola, and Olataye. And without further ado, tune into our episode. All right, Tunde Subomahim, welcome to Transcend the Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm beautiful. It's Friday, and it's always great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm really excited to have you here because I have known you for mm, probably all of my adult life, actually, (laughs) since we met when we were both in college, but at different schools in Silicon Valley. I went to Santa Clara. You went to Stanford University and, of course, met through your awesome brother, Dele. So this is like, I mean... I realize I've been in the Bay for about 18, 19 years now, which is is mind-blowing. For those of you listening, we also both grew up in Portland, so there's a lot of synchronicity here. But it's it's been an awesome (laughs) 20-year friendship between the two of us. And Tunde is doing amazing, amazing work within the community and is one of the co-founders of Street Code Academy in East Palo Alto. Can you tell us a little bit about what Street Code is? You're going to have to, you can't just say 20 years and throw back just all the history we have and not come back to that. that that's that's an incredible history. Thank you for putting that in context that we both grew up in Portland, but now call the Bay our home. And yep. it really is because 20 years out here is it's, it's made for our home. Yeah, Portland will always, always be the roots, always be the home. 
but we have certainly grounded ourselves here. So that's that was dope. Thank you for reminding <laughs> of me course. and all of us. All right, so Street Code. So let me throw Street Code back all the way to connected to those roots in Portland. Growing up in Portland, Oregon, being a part of what I think some of the best programs in the country. At the time, I was part of Perspective Gents Club growing up, which was the African-based rights of pastors program that had 100 black male youth involved in understanding spirituality, scholarship, culture awareness, time management, time spent with positive adults, community service, and respect, right? We were grounded in these real solid principles. I had mentors like Michael Chappie Grice, you know, one of the best educators in the country, has literally been a superintendent across the country, has created programs for our communities to be educated, has taught young kids how to fly aviation. I mean, these were these were the men that were seeding into me. And I came from a family that you know that cares about service. So both mm-hmm. my mom and my father committed their lives to service. So I brought all that with me. And that was who I was coming into the Bay, coming into Stanford University, which was to me had kind of advanced the scope I already was was creating, right? And mm-hmm. in that part, in that expansion of the scope around how do you serve community in the best way, in my first two years at Stanford, I came across Jesse Jackson, who was doing a tour. He brought the message around digital divide to the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And this idea that the fourth civil rights movement, as he called it, was actually economic empowerment. It was like, we have the right to vote. We're free from slavery. We're legally integrated. You know, all those things are sort of, right? But, the, right. but <laughs> in terms of giving credit to the freedom fighters who fought and won those, mm-hmm. those fights, right? It was like, all right, now we have to fight and win this economic empowerment. We still don't have access to the full sense of freedom because we don't have, we don't have economics. And so the key to that economics as Jesse Jackson was calling it back in 1998, 1999, was technology. That mm-hmm. was going to unlock people's ability because he saw in the broad sense of the term or the broad sense of the, of the, of the idea that technology was going to impact every single aspect of our lives, right? And mm-hmm. so here we are on this podcast, you know, you as a lawyer, me as a kind of a civil servant, and we're using technology to advance our work. And so he saw that and was like, look, we need to be involved in that. And that captivated me, not because I was as a technologist, because I was a community. I wanted to be like Dr. King. I wanted to advance Mm -hmm. the kind of mission that we. So that's where the seed for Street Code kind of, you know, I'm a co-founder, right? So there are plenty of other seeds of the people who came to it. But that was my seed. That was Mm -hmm. my first kind of like, wow, this is. And I did some stuff at Stanford around that, working with prisoners. I went back to Portland and work with juvenile folks coming out of the system and teach them mm-hmm. technology skills. And we explore kind of that whole, you know, recidivism path and how technology and access could help. Those were decades ago. Because I should like, I went actually back to Portland, wanted to teach some high schoolers how to make websites. Mm-hmm. I wanted to walk down MLK Boulevard, knock on everybody's door and say, do you have a website? If they said no, we said we could make one for you mm-hmm. at a small fee. And I wanted to make money with teenagers, fellow teenagers, mm-hmm. um, my first summer back from college. Mm-hmm. And nobody wanted to do it with me. There was nobody there. And I had the computer cluster reserved. I knew the path we were gonna we were gonna do. I knew that I, I had a sense that this was gonna really pop and be a good business. And there were mm-hmm. nobody nobody that wanted to spend their summer learning technology skills. Nobody wanted to spend their summer building websites. 
this is all part of like the time when we started to know each other because mm -hmm. the nose of those students actually caused us to create this fachi, which was to mm -hmm. say, if you don't see it now, let's use fashion, athletics, community, and entertainment to then wake us up to the possibilities yeah. of our future, right? So we started mm -hmm. doing the t-shirts that you were around for. We started cutting hair, which you were around for. We started doing community events, which you were around for. Did right. all the fashion around for. And then seven years ago, after that, that big stint in Delhi still running Isfachi, that idea around technology came back up. And it was like, mm -hmm. okay, now, now the time is right. People did want to spend their summers mm -hmm. doing web design. People did want to spend their summers doing business. And so here, now we've built from that same seed Street Code Academy, which now offers free technology classes. And we've grown from 20 students in that first class to serve it over 3,000 last year. Wow, that's amazing. I, I want to touch on something that you said real quick, though, because you said that first summer you came back, you were knocking on doors and you kept hearing no. You kept hearing no. You kept hearing no. Mm -hmm. And many other people would have probably taken that no and said, okay, I don't have a good idea. Forget it. Nobody wants to do it. Let's pivot to the next thing or let's let's drop this and go to the next thing. But you didn't drop it. You pivoted and said, how can I talk to the audience that I want to talk to in a way that they can understand what I'm saying? And so essentially you pivoted into the things that the community was looking for, fashion and, and haircuts and community events so that you could reintroduce your original idea now with an audience that you have primed who is receptive to hear it. So I think that's like absolutely brilliant and genius because so many of us give up on our goals before we even get started, right? But you had the foresight to say, okay, maybe not right now, but let me do a few things to make sure that it gets ready and introduce it into, into the community in a way that is receptive. So along that same line, like how is street code different than from, I don't know, maybe some like coding academy that you would take, you know, at the Berkeley extension or, you know, something else that is that has not come from you and your co-founders? How is it different? Well, well, first, you're such a gift to our world. And I say that kind of emotional right now because the way you just packaged Street Code and the way you just packaged kind of what I've done was so beautiful. I just appreciate that. And I've heard you talk about voting rights or the elections or the host of other things that you, you know, kind of share with our community. And I just think our world is very fortunate to have you as a voice, as a thought leader, as an educator, really, I think at the core, you just you just break things down. So I thank you for repeating back, you know, what I what I took 20 minutes to say. You said you wrapped it up so beautifully. So thank you. Well, thank you for your words. You're gonna make me emotional. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, good. How are we different? Well, from Berkeley, we're way different. I'll kind of zoom in to like what makes us ultimately different. Maybe there's three distinct ways. I think the first thing is that we're community-centered. Maybe I'll say community-based. And so that's interesting, right? Because you walk on a Berkeley's campus, and for us, I didn't realize this, but it's being Black, having pigmentation in our skin, that just automatically in America puts us at disease. You know what I mean? It's dis-ease. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like it's harder mm -hmm. to walk on some of these mainstream campuses and feel welcome, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's just one big thing, right? We're, because we're community-based, that means we're going to be inside a community, presumably in a community that you know, trust, and feel safe mm -hmm. in, right? And you have some connections to. So that's one kind of 
obvious difference between a lot of different coding opportunities and ours. I'll give you this one point, which I think you will love. This is the insight that came to us from, from a dude named Dimitri Sanders, but I think this is so phenomenal. Dimitri also grew up in Portland, shout out, and we grew up together. Yeah. He identified this thing that I actually experienced in my family, but didn't couldn't recognize it, which is that most of us get an introduction to technology and it's actually a negative introduction to technology. Hmm. Now, what am I trying to say? A lot of us focus on, okay, we just got to get our communities exposed. We got to mm-hmm. get our communities introduced to technology. We kind of like flat stop right there. I have kids. And so my job as a parent is to just introduce them to technology. But mm-hmm. what Dimitri found was that what kind of toy would introduce the idea that, hold on, introduction doesn't mean it's a good thing. In fact, it could be a, a hurtful thing mm-hmm. because how many of us were introduced to something and because it was introduced in the wrong way, we never came back to it. We never returned to it. Mm-hmm. And we call that a negative introduction to technology. So let's mm-hmm. say your first introduction to technology was at this Berkeley extension. I didn't go to Berkeley. I didn't do any Berkeley programs. In fact, the only Berkeley programs I know, shout out to Smash, were phenomenal. But mm-hmm. let's imagine that Berkeley was not able to make that a, a phenomenal experience for my son or daughter. Right. Now their first introduction to technology is actually bad and it mm-hmm. gives them a negative taste and a negative experience. It doesn't hook them. It doesn't excite them. It doesn't ignite passion. And then now mm-hmm. that's worse. So the right. first thing that we do is we're community-based. So I think that that's going to give you a positive introduction to technology. That's first. Mm-hmm. The second thing we're different is that we're family-centered. Now that's, mm-hmm. so you have some very much community-based programs, but they focus only on high schoolers or they focus only on middle schoolers or they focus only on adult learners. And so because we're family-based, we're making even that environment even more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so we're learning that when families learn together, that increases the retention, that increases your passion, that increases, and then when you learn together, it, that now everybody's advancing exponentially, right? Because right. those conversations come home. So we have grandparents learning with grandkids. We have uncles with nieces and and nephews, et cetera, learning together. So that's the second thing I think is unique. And the third thing I think is that we go deep into real technology, right? So we're talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence and blockchain and, Mm -hmm. you know, NFTs. Like we're we're talking about the depth of coding as opposed to, or of technology, as opposed to just the surface, right? So many of our programs focus simply on exposure and -hmm. don't really go deep. And so the fact that we're community-based, the fact that we're family-centered, the fact that we go deep, I think makes us unique. Right. I love those values. If you, I, I, Assuming that maybe you call them values within in the company, but I can see that those values are also apparent in you and also apparent in some of the other people that I've met from Street Code. But it's for those of you who are listening, thinking about bringing your values to the table and then adding sort of the business on top of that, right? Because the business is teaching children, not just children, everybody had a code, the whole family, the whole community, but you're doing it in a way that is from the community of the community, serves the family to create these bonds. And then it just sort of permeates, right? Because now the kids can talk to their parents, their parents know what's going on. They can bring their grandparents and their cousins, all of that stuff. And then also really teaching the coders to go deep in their knowledge instead of just introducing. There are a lot of things and programs that will teach us how to use technology, but not how to be developers of technology. And tying it back to what you said in the beginning, then Jesse Jackson's message and also my message about economic empowerment in the community, 
we have to learn how to do these things deeply so we can be really, really good at them and then create whatever we need to create instead of just being a really efficient user of the technology or of the business services. We need to learn how to create that real intense understanding so it just becomes a part of us. Because once you learn something, no one can ever take that away. You develop the skill, you keep developing it, and you, your opportunities just open. So I, I really appreciate that. How did you all decide to become a nonprofit instead of being a for-profit business? There are tons of people who have beautiful missions and want to serve the community. And if they come to me, I have a real conversation about, you know, nonprofits sound really good, but it's not free. It's not free money, right? You still have to figure out how to run the business, keep it afloat, pay the people who are working. You don't want to be a part of that nonprofit scheme where we're overtaxed and paying people peanuts, especially if you were trying to serve the black and brown community, because it's not sustainable that way. How do you run it in a way that is sustaining for your employees as well as for the community? Because so many nonprofits do great work, but drain their employees. Turnover is high, retention is low, and frustrations are out of control. Wow. Your questions are so on point. I, I don't. How many questions do you have? Because we're we going we gonna to be here a long time. <laughs> These are just off the cuff now. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, let me. Well, you hit some crucial things. Very timely. Let me see how I can get to these. So first you talked about this idea around being a nonprofit and not being free. You know, what made us choose that? Well, we always knew that we wanted to be a for-profit, nonprofit, and an investment arm. Mm -hmm. That was part of the original concept. To your point, right? Thinking about, so let me back up. Why is that important? Well, we knew that we couldn't say it like you, and we didn't have the conviction, but we did know in the bottom of our hearts that nonprofits weren't going to be able to fully connect us to the mission that Jesse Jackson was talking about, economic empowerment. That's not mm -hmm. our key to economic empowerment. So if our mm -hmm. key, if nonprofits are, are not going to really connect us fully, then that, we can't only do that, right? That can't only be right. our vehicle. We have to do it in concert with the things that will. And so mm -hmm. things like access to capital is a big part of that, right? And so thinking about how could we funnel money our way and then thinking about, well, how do we be a launching pad for businesses doing the things that you're doing with your work? That was central. Like, that's like, we need those things. Now, mm -hmm. we didn't, I didn't know the Oshers at that time, right? For me, those people to help think about how to do, what to do, what vehicle, I, we didn't, we didn't have that. And, and we didn't have people who were, in fact, one of the reasons Streetcar was created was because we didn't have people helping us create businesses in our community. We did not have those things are needed. But given the landscape we were in, we said, now how do we kickstart this? How do we do this effectively? And in Silicon Valley, because there is this relationship between tons of wealth being surrounding East Palo Alto mm -hmm. and East Palo Alto having need, especially in this technology education, nonprofit felt like a viable way to kind of kickstart that entire ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? And so mm -hmm. there were people we knew that, and we knew nonprofit, people that we knew that said, hey, I have a lot of money and I want communities to advance. So I mm -hmm. wanted this mission. So we started, and we actually started with a very generous donation from the chief product officer of Facebook named Chris Cox, who gave us really a whole two-year runway. That doesn't mm -hmm. happen often. 
in right. nonprofits. And we were fortunate to do that. So that's a tremendous blessing, right? I don't I don't mm-hmm. think we would be having the path that we had had it not been. And so shout out to Chris for being able to do sort of an unorthodox type of gift. Shout out to someone who saw a potential and really invested in that. And that's going to take, you know, whether you're for-profit, non-profit, we're going to need people who to, to invest in us in that kind of way. And so right. that, that was special. Now, fast forward to now. And so, yes, there's a lot of work to fundraise. And I can, that could be a whole nother podcast, just how do you, how do you fundraise for nonprofits? Right. But that's a real task. It's not easy. But now that we've done that, we've grown our budget. We're, we're almost a $3 million organization. We've grown both in students served, in staff, in budget raised from that kind of first Three hundred thousand dollar budget now three million. So we we you know kind of ten x to the budget. We've we've grown staff members from being just three kind of part time, and and now we got fifteen full time people and and twenty five part time and and almost a hundred you know volunteers that come through mentors. So we've we've certainly learned some things on in, in that in that journey. But mm-hmm. now we're at a point where where I'm at now I'm on a sabbatical, and this sabbatical I'm two weeks into a sabbatical. That sabbatical speaks to two things. One, it speaks to the burnout that you talked about, right? How mm-hmm. do how do we, especially in nonprofit, especially in mission work, give our employees, starting with myself as the CEO, the investment, rest mentally, spiritually, to be able to sustain this work? And we've always thought about how do we do that, right? Mm-hmm. We pay folks is kind of, we push to pay people as best we can, right? In the nonprofit mm-hmm. world, because we know people are smart. They're bringing ingenuity. They're bringing passion. They're bringing hard work, commitment, all the things that should be paid, they're bringing that. And so we deserve that kind of payment too. So we've done that. Right. We've tried to be very flexible in terms of our schedule and give people and be conscious of like the seasons. So we've designed that, I feel like in a way that's thoughtful, but this sabbatical I think, is, the, is sort of the biggest boldest step is mm-hmm. that we're saying let's honor that work rest flow right? right six days working one day off six years working one year off you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is we're putting that into practice so that's that's one thing and then the second thing about the sabbatical is that from time away from street code academy now other things can birth my board has tasked me hey now that you're taking some time off from the day-to-day operations of street code academy Give some time to the thought of Street Code Inc., which is mm-hmm. that for-profit. And so mm-hmm. now it gives us the ability to live into that dream that not only are we going to be a nonprofit, but we're also going to be a for-profit. And what does that look like? Right. Yeah, I, I think that's beautifully stated, especially about the piece about rest. You know, in our communities, we don't do rest very well. <laughs> rest also oftentimes is a luxury. So, you know, when you were building these businesses, whether nonprofit or for profit, really think about what do you need to recharge? What do you need to be sustainable? Because you can only go 100 miles an hour for so long. You know, vehicles run out of gas at some point. You know, humans run out of gas at some point. So building in that, like, that rest piece is super important. And that also speaks, I think, to the team that you have around you to be able to feel comfortable stepping away and knowing that the operations are going to continue. Hey, excuse me, pardon the interruption. I know you were (laughs) listening intently to the podcast, but I just want to tell you that I've got this great checklist for you to download if you are a new business owner 
or even if you're thinking about starting a new business, it's called the new business checklist. It's got 12 things that you need to know as a new business owner to help grow your business and make it ready for the wealth infusion that you're going to have. So then you can leave a financial legacy for your kids and your kids, kids and your kids, kids, kids. So if you're ready for that checklist, head on over to transcendthemembership.com slash checklist and get it for free. So how did you build out the team around you? I mean, not, not going into nitty gritty details, but what were some of the like the big picture ideas? I tend to tell people, don't duplicate your own skill set. You don't need five of you. You need four other people who bring different skills to the table because then you have more reach. How did you think about putting people into place, especially in the beginning when it was in the idea phase? Who did you know or think to reach out to and why? Wow, no, these are, these these are so, and you have a lot of these thoughts, and you're helping us as entrepreneurs reach our dreams, right? And so I appreciate all the input and the feedback that you're giving us as entrepreneurs. So for me, the word that I can't kick is trust, and mm-hmm. it's it's probably overstated and such a broad word. So let me try to give you a little detail into what I mean. The first thing is that when we started Streetco. We had to continually make a decision between, my brother says, Dele says, character and chemistry over competence. Mm -hmm. I love that. And he's giving us that because it it basically is like, we sometimes always tend to value, overvalue competence. And we undervalue things like character and chemistry, which that is really what sustained us, right? So we take a look at who we had fundraising for our first five, six years, we didn't have anybody who had skills in development or in fundraising. But what we did have were people who were going to come at it with incredible integrity and were going to work hard and be part of the team, do what it takes to be part of the team. And we had that same piece with the operations. Now, we did have varying skills, right? I was somebody who lived in vision. I was somebody who lived directly with community. You know, we had Frederick Alexander as a co-founder. We started the program. There were my brother, Justin Phipps, um, my sister, Heather Starnes, David Chapman. There were others that kind of started as a program, but then we, we had to create this as an organization. And mm-hmm. when we sat around the table and had to fill out that IRS tax stuff, there were, you know, people who really knew how to fill those stuff, things out, right? That was Jasmine. <laughs> right. She's been our chief operating officer and she's now this interim CEO. She was an event planner at the time. Like she was good with mm-hmm. detail. She knew how to follow through. For me, I kind of lived in vision. There were things that wouldn't always get taken care of or wouldn't always, the loops wouldn't always connect, right? So, because mm-hmm. I'm constantly moving and thinking about vision. And they allowed me to do that while they kind of helped connect the dots. Frederick was phenomenal in campaign, he was phenomenal in messaging, he was phenomenal mm-hmm. in brand and kind of storytelling. So, we had all these people come to the table. Tamara, my wife, had a background in education and operations, right? So she she brought that experience about what kind of model are we going to bring? Is this going to be, what kind of organization are we going to set up? She's thinking long-term. She's thinking operationally. And then Squint was another person who had social capital, new community, knew how to tell stories, you know, et cetera. So we had all those people kind of come to the table and think about how do we build this, this organization? So then we had board, right? And board played their part because they had different capacity. So it speaks to like the different pieces playing their part to, to make the whole. But the last thing I'll say about trust is that it wasn't easy and it's not easy. I'm two weeks in, right? It's not easy stepping away from the organization as the founding and current CEO, right? Mm-hmm. How do you take those 
I hold a lot of work. I do a lot of, I have a lot of experience in this. You To taking me away from the table leaves things that we could try to assume, but it also leaves things that we just don't know. It has poured on my ability to trust my team mm-hmm. and ultimately trust God, if I was going to be 100% honest, because ultimately I'm saying, God, I believe that it's you doing this work through us, that it's not me doing the work on my own. And so right. that is the primary part of trust for me. And then I have to say, God, I know you can use Jasmine, Tam, Frederick, Squint, Aaron, Stephanie, Jesus, the, the rest. I know you can use these folks too, right? just like you've used me. And mm-hmm. let me trust them in that process. It's not easy, but I think it right. is valuable because it allows us to recharge. It allows us to step back. We And we, we're calling my sabbatical, you know, a step back to level up, right? And now if mm-hmm. I'm stepping back, other people are leveling up. The organization levels up, the mission levels up, and so do I. I get to recharge. So that's right. where we're at. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's talk about the power of relationships real quick, because I know that you and your wife, Tam, met in college, right? You're working together now. I know a number of the people who are surrounding Street Code, whether they're actually in the organization or connected to the organization and supporting them, are people you have known for a number of years. Mm -hmm. I think we tend to underestimate the power of developing genuine relationships. Oftentimes we think, oh, well, I need something now. So let me cultivate a relationship. But can you speak to how relationships have helped you build this organization and also supported you maybe individually as the CEO of the organization? Wow. You're going going to make me tear up. (laughs) I've never been asked these kind of questions. So you got to forgive my pause. But I mean, these are not things that I knew, right? These are not things that I, I... I knew, okay, let me let me develop these relationships with you, for example, over 20 years. And now when I have a legal question, I could call you up. I mm-hmm. didn't know, I didn't know that, right? I didn't, I didn't right. think. But I think there this speaks to kind of what Dele is talking about with character and chemistry over competence. What 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 Dele is saying is over the long haul, I want to bank on character being something that's going to take us further than anything else, right? Mm-hmm. And Take us further than just that competence. And I think that's kind of how I approach relationships. I never thought that relationships were going to be, I just loved working with people who I trusted and who I believed in and who I love, right? So I'm going to call you first. I wanted you to be our lawyer, right? That was, mm-hmm. you, you eventually connected to another one. But that was like, because I like you and I like working with you. So that's that's kind of, that's kind of how I approached it. It was very self-centered in that way. It was like, like <laughs> I want to work with people who I enjoy. And we've been able to do that, right? And that's more that's enjoyable to me. Like this whole family business kind of idea. That's that's kind of my dream. So mm-hmm. we co-founded Isfachi with with Dele and with Tam and with Ibrahim and Ajani. Mm-hmm. Like these are my family. You know what I'm saying? This is my the family. OGs so, in my mind. <laughs> the OG, the OGs, certainly OGs. And now, you know, Johnny's an attorney and Ibrahim's a doctor and Dele's wearing his fachi and they're, they're OGs. And now, because we have that, now if my dad is going through something, I'm calling Ibrahim, right? Mm-hmm. He's a co-founder of his fachi, whatever, we go back 20 years, but now he's a doc- medical doctor and is able to help me. You know what I'm saying? So those relationships, right. but I think it starts with just character. And at the end of the day, what I want is to make God happy with how I live my life. So it mm-hmm. it forces me to kind of focus on my character. And then what we see 
on the flip side of that is there's return on that. There's right. return on, okay, now I'm able to build a family. Now I'm able to try to build one brick at a time, right? One day at a time, a marriage. Now I'm able to build a business one brick at a time, one day at a time, right? So, but at the center of all that is just me trying to work on my character and that is a focus in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's an extremely important point, right? It starts with us and it, and it shoots out from there because then when you have real relationships with people, people are also willing to leverage their own relationships to help you. You know, so like, for example, when you were asking, you're writing a book, which is amazing. That's not the kind of thing that I, that's not the area of law that I practice, but I was able to connect you to someone else that I also love and adore and who is a talented attorney. And then because of both of, or my relationship with both of y'all, now y'all have a relationship that is fruitful and getting you to where you need to go. And it is also enjoyable because there's chemistry and character, like Dele so artfully said. So I agree. You don't always need someone who's at the the most skilled necessarily, but connect with people who are fitting within the value ecosystem that you have, because that's going to take you much further. Skills you can learn. Character, you could change a little bit, but you know, that chemistry, that's also really, really important in business. So I really appreciate that. Couple more questions. How do you balance? Because you've got four beautiful children. You've got an awesome wife who I absolutely adore. You've also got you've got Dele. You've got Remy. Those are both of your brothers who are in the Bay. Remy's got his, his two kids himself. Your family is huge and dynamic and awesome. How do you balance running this business and also being present and accountable to the family? And I say that because I think a lot of people think. You could do one or the other. I've heard so many people, I think especially guys who, let me not stereotype, but I have heard multiple men feel like you've got to get this business thing, the financial thing right. And that family is a distraction from that. But from the outside looking in, it seems like you have been able to integrate because the family has always been there. And I admire the way that you integrate family and business in this entire ecosystem. So how, how do you do that? What do you think about that? How do you, how do you balance that? Mm. Wow. I love these questions. Okay. So thank you for those kind words. And I, I feel the same way about my family. I feel fortunate to be a part of the family I have. So I appreciate that. One, let me just acknowledge that I don't balance that in the way I wish to balance it, right? And so part of the reason for the sabbatical was my acknowledgement that my support of Tam as my partner, as my wife, was was very much imbalanced. And it would take a lot of years for us to like kind of rescope that balance. But me taking a sabbatical as she pursues her PhD is one way to kind of try to level that out. Similarly with the kids, right? Because they they're it flies by, and so now I feel like our kids are on our, our on their on their way out towards college, and so I want that time, right? So that sabbatical helped me kind of like level out, and I think you know one of the compelling arguments for the sabbatical was this idea of save and kind of put in work for six years, and then that seventh mm-hmm. year pour back in, right? And save, and and so the idea is somebody's like, man, I can't. How would I ever be able to do that? Well, the brother Andy Crouch, who kind of seeded the idea sabbatical for me, said, we understand save and rest. It's called retirement, right? We, we, mm-hmm. we save all this money over time, and then we hope that we retire at the end. But why retire 
when I'm 70 years old, 65 years old, my kids are grown. Why not distribute that save and, and rest while my mm -hmm. kids are still with me? Right. And so I right. get to like this morning when I drove my kid to work, when I drove my son to school, I was able to just witness. We had 40 minutes in the car. It was completely silent. And I just was able to listen to him eat an orange, read his book. And I just was admiring my son, you know what I mean, for 40 mm -hmm. minutes. And that kind of time, right, without me thinking about work, without me thinking about everything, like just to be there, that's valuable. And, I, and I'm grateful. I'm trying to learn how to balance those. But mm -hmm. to the brothers or to the sisters or to whomever was thinking like, man, this family's going to be a distraction. I don't agree with that. And I understand it. And I'm not mad at the logic. I'm not mad if my if my kid said that I would I would give him my points and I would I would support it. But I do think that my perspective has been and my experience has been no that family has been integral. I would not street code would not be family based if it wasn't for my right. son Tayo. Mm -hmm. So my son Tayo at nine years old learned how to code. Eleven years old built a game. Flew to you know got flown to Saudi Arabia. Tam myself and him so that he could speak to the Saudi Arabian youth about technology and it opened up my eyes that no technology is not just for 16 to 24 year olds which is right. what we were doing originally mm -hmm. so it opened up my mind right when every time i do some street code i'm asking them how do y'all feel about that right mm -hmm. and so i'm gonna be a worse ceo at street code with them out of the house right <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just getting one practical thing right so i'm not my profession is yes it, it it's hard to stop your day at 3 30 to go pick up a kid or you know, your Saturdays mm -hmm. are, are taking them to soccer games. But I've met people at soccer games that have helped me with street code. The right. supporters of street code are largely people that I know from my kids' schools. It's advanced. And so I don't think that, I think we need to chase what's important to us first. Mm -hmm. And if family is that, then do that and trust that those things can be built on top of that. And that speaks to your, I think you probably could say it better, but just how you build those values first. And then you build right. on top of those values. Yeah. And family is that. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. Last question for you before, well, second to last question. What is one piece of advice? It doesn't have to be the best piece, but the piece of advice you can think of right now for black and brown entrepreneurs who are looking to build a business and leave a legacy. It could be something that you wish you would have known before you started or just whatever you think a really good piece of advice is. Okay, that's good. I, I like the piece I wish I would have known. I'll tell you what came to my mind first and see if your second sub-question changes it. My first thing was going to be around those values and sort of trusting those values and building on top of those. And I think I've done, I'm in the middle of that and I've tried to practice that various times, right? Like, mm -hmm. do I think whether it's be it's been very practical in that, do, do I want to let this person go? who's been phenomenal in ABCDFG, but I don't think they're right for us. That may make me look like a very poor decision maker, but I've trusted my own value or whether it be hiring somebody who may not have experience, but you feel like this person is that same kind of dynamic. So I'm, I'm trusting my own values. I'm constantly working on my own values. If I was an entrepreneur, I would want to say that. Now, Mm -hmm. The advice I wish I would have known early on is I, I wish I would have known that investing in the people around me benefit me. I started off thinking it was very much about me, what I need to know, what I need to learn, 
when I need mm-hmm. to, you know, be good at. I wish I would have been more supportive of investing in my kids, in my wife, Tam, in the people around me earlier. I, I know that I've built a conviction around that now, but mm-hmm. I think earlier investing in them would have only made me stronger earlier. And that's something, that's a piece of advice I wish I would have known earlier. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Tunde, for spending your, what's today, Friday morning. I don't know when you all are listening to this, but we are recording on a Friday morning on your sabbatical. So <laughs> I appreciate that you're spending a little bit of your of your free time or your newly distributed, newly assigned time with me this morning as we're recording. If people want to get connected with Street Code Academy or connect with you, what are the channels that they can do that through? Our website is the best kind of central piece, www.streetcode.org is our website and, and we're on all the social platforms so they can follow us there too. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, Asha. Hey there, thanks for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed the episode this week. I am so, so grateful for to have you here and I hope that you are ready and feeling empowered to build your own business You are needed. You are important. And I want to support you. So if you have just started a new business and you're not sure what to do next, I've got a great checklist for you to download called the new business checklist. Head on over to transcendthemembership.com slash checklist and put your name and your email into the box and you'll get the checklist instantly. Also, I want to ask you one more favor. If you want to interact with me on a daily basis, head on over to Instagram and follow my account at Asha Wilkerson ESQ on IG. I post on there daily. Can't wait to answer your questions and begin the conversation. Talk to you soon. I am so thankful that you are here listening to Transcend the Podcast, and I just want to make sure you know the best way to stay in contact with me, and that's through joining my email newsletter. So please head on over to thewilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter and join the list. I will tell you everything over there from what my offerings are to bits and pieces of information about how to grow and scale your business to self-coaching all the way to giving you updates on what the new podcast episode is. So don't hesitate. Go do it now. Thewilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter. Thanks.